What's going on with the school roleplay club? Why would you even run such a thing? And what are the best steps in getting started? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello Rescuers, welcome to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing games hobby. When I changed careers and became a British high school teacher, I took my hobby with me into schools. More on that in a moment, but today the focus of much of my hobby is turned towards introducing new teenage people to gaming. As I said in episode one, one of the key projects I have for this season is to resurrect the role-playing arm of the school games club. Last year it had largely become a chess and board game club. Sessions have been extended from last year's 50 minutes to one and a half hours, having successfully negotiated with the school for some more time. So today, I want to take you through the story of the first two weeks of the project and outline the progress, and also the pain, of getting myself back in front of teen gamers. I've even grabbed two short clips from the GM's journal, recorded immediately after the students left on two consecutive sessions, to give you a sense of how play has been going. This is Season 13, Episode 2, Schooled. The experience of running a school roleplay club for me started back in 2010 as I began my career and qualified as a teacher in England. At my first school, I wanted to share my love of RPGs with students that I taught. As with my current school, this was a place where I taught every kid and I got to see the desperate need for young people to play with their imagination. 13 years on, I have always run a school games club. I've always introduced students to D&D and then I've always shown them the many other choices out there. Last year, starting in my new role in a new school of a thousand students, I did it again. But then I hit my own mental barriers. On the one hand, I was working super hard to set up my new department in a new school and running the club was basically hard work. On the other hand, I began to tell myself that what I was seeing, students grabbing various products I threw out into the wild and then messing around with them, was enough. Maybe they don't need my help, but the one thing that is definitely happening is that due to a lack of how-to-run games info in the rules, plus a general RPG culture that doesn't really know how to run games effectively, the sessions are increasingly run as either combat sequences or railroads. But at the root of my desire to run the club is my heartfelt desire to run a face-to-face game. The idea this year is to first get myself back to the table, second, offer newbie students a route into the hobby through play, and third, give myself an outlet for face-to-face play. Today, I just want to talk about what I'm doing to achieve that. I spent a ridiculously exciting half an hour on the first Saturday morning after episode one, drawing a crappy sketch map of Felmir, the fantasy realm wherein our adventures begin. I grabbed a sheet of hexed paper and a small set of coloured pencils, a clipboard, a mechanical pencil and a rubber, and a razor for you North American types. No sniggering back there in the aisle, but I get ahead of myself. 
The night before, I decided that I'd run a D&D game at the school club. It's a recognisable brand and simple to teach new players. My dilemma? Would I run 5th edition or something earlier? I posted the question on the RPR Discord and the general consensus was to agree that basic D&D would be a great starting point. Easier to run in one and a half hour sessions, easier for me to prep, and the young folk can easily graduate to 5th edition if they really want to. I decided to sleep on it and decide in the morning. Saturday morning, about 4am, I awoke and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I went to the hobby stacks, dug out three little booklets and sat down with a coffee. The first book I opened was blue covered and entitled Dungeons and Dragons Expert Set. But no, this wasn't the BX 1981 version. This was Beck Me, the 1983 red box booklets and the expert set to go with it. I felt ridiculously excited. It was a nostalgia for a game that I had never run as a dungeon master. I had played plenty of D&D Basic, then moved on to Advanced, and then on to Rollmaster and other games, but I remembered many days of poring over those old booklets and reading them. The team me had dreamed of being the DM, but never taken the plunge. I had been afraid, even back in the 1980s. Two days earlier, I had been reading the short series of overwritten and bloated blog posts by the Angry GM about the Angry Open World game. These articles, once you get past the long rambling intros, contain nuggets of wisdom. One idea was to get over the super high standards we GMs tend to place on ourselves. Easier said than done, but definitely true of me. Another was to simply draw a crappy sketch overworld map and stop worrying about what it looked like. This is for the GM, not the players. So there I was, Saturday morning. The energy was building. It's hard to explain, but I was channeling a magical energy. That power of creativity and excitement that comes when I create something I care about. And I sat down with a sheet of hexed paper and a small set of coloured pencils, a clipboard, a mechanical pencil and a rubber. What I drew was truly basic and crappy. Just coloured outlines of blob-like shapes labelled Darkwood and fell reach march and such. I plonked down some black dots and labelled the first one Hargrave, a small town. In the middle of the map I stuck in Stone Harrow, the starting village. But it felt inspired. I was excited and as I speak about it now I can feel that energy again. I had a GM's hex map of Felmir. I had a half dozen locations, a couple of them adventure sites, drawn on the map and I had a list of ideas forming in my mind for other potential sites of adventure. The next step would be to see what experts said set about setting up a new campaign. Turns out that draw a map and plonk on a starting settlement are the first couple of steps. I was excited, I was energised, and I was ready to bring this map to life. Saturday night. 6.30pm. It's game night and, if you remember, I was due to play a session of something with Evil Jeff. He's the host of Minions Amusings podcast and a good friend. I was sticking by my promise to myself. No prep. Improvise a session. Prove to yourself that you can pull a couple of hours of play out of your butt. We sat down and I was buzzing on about D&D Basic. 
Jeff's a fan of Beck Me Too, so we were chatting and I was enthusing. To be honest, the first few minutes were distracted because I was emailing Fernando Salvaterra and trying to sort out an amazing opportunity to have him create a player-facing adventurer's map of Felmir for the kids to use. But more on that later. Evil Jeff and me got chatting and I say, so what do you want to play? We were planning to dig out his modern-day GURPS character, Shota, and kick off the Infinite Worlds game we'd been talking about. But then he says, Well, seeing as you're excited about Beckme, why don't we play some D&D? He rolled up a character, so did I, an NPC fighter called Brennan, who turned out to be the young son of a local knight who runs Stone Harrow, Sir Roderick. Jeff rolled so well that he decides to make an elf named Favelas. And I kick off play with Father Andrew from St. Gregory's Church rushing up to Sir Roderick's manor house to complain of strange noises neath the church. Seeing as Brennan was going to go investigate, the laird asked Vel, the visiting elf who turned up earlier that day from somewhere up north of the village and was paying his respects, to go with his son and check out the church. Suffice it to say that we had a fun hour or so of dungeoneering as I rustled up a situation and we tried to remember how to play D&D. My description of the church got all confused, largely as I forgot my cardinal directions and got mixed up between the west door and the north door, but we rolled with it. Jeff might have noticed, but he didn't show it. Once we got into the crypt beneath the church, things got interesting nice and quick. There were monsters and there was a quick, dirty fight. Brennan was paralysed, Vel was dragging the poor lad up the spiral stairs, and a new adventuring site was discovered. At the end of the night, Evil Jeff and I were feeling like we'd enjoy keeping things going, but who knows, our friend Bob might not be up for that, so I'm holding things loosely. The main point of this diversion? I pulled a session out of my arse, and we had a whole bucket of fun with that Felmir map, or at least one of the points of interest on it. This boosted my confidence, and on Sunday morning, well, I was all ready to prep after the session in case Jeff and Bob fancied a return to St. Gregory's Church in Stone Harrow. And then I turned up to play at the school club on Tuesday night. Just a really, really quick note to say, just finished the first session at the D&D club and had four completely new players to D&D. Um, one of the girls, three other lads, and they just basically got characters done, which is good, and then we found our way into the beginnings of a dungeon. They came down some stairs, they got mobbed by a giant spider, which one of the magic users put to sleep with the sleep spell, and then the fighter came over with a double-handed axe, and smite it mightily and killed it straight away um, and they found a goblin skull with a screw on lid which in, contained a gem in it and they also found some coins they found some mouldy rotting sacks as well in the corner which they poked around with and almost choked themselves to death with and then they've gone out of that down the passageway to the west and found a door having opened the door they got a blast of wind and the but the lantern stayed on they dashed into the cave and they've just found the body of uh, some kind of clerical character face down, limed over in the water. And I'm wondering if anybody listening to this recognises which dungeon map I'm using. Uh, but anyway, they've been sent into the dungeon to retrieve a key from the body of the, of the abbot who died in this ancient uh, temple. And they appear to have found what looks like the body of the abbot with the key. So 
on one level, they've kind of done their job, but their intentions the next session are to find out what else is in this dungeon because they've been told they get a small payment for returning that key to Elias back in um, Stone Hollow, but um, they've been also been told they can keep any treasure they find, and they're quite keen on finding more treasure. It has been a week. I've obviously been busy at work and in my usual state of tiredness at the weekend, but the excitement for playing D&D hasn't waned too much. What has arrived is a rising sense of, what the heck am I doing? On one level, all I need to do is keep the two games of D&D rolling. I've been adding to the map key for the Lakeside Ruins dungeon, which I started on Tuesday. been doing some tiny prep at lunchtime. And I've also got a dungeon map for underneath St. Gregory's Church all ready to go. I just need to stock the rooms and I have enough to keep the game rolling. But I am also feeling the familiar fear around running a fantasy campaign. The uncertainty is a combination of feeling a lack of ability as a DM mixed with not really knowing what to do next in terms of prep. These feelings are not reality though. And that's a point I'd like to address relating to anxiety in general. There are a range of what cognitive behavioural therapists call unhelpful thinking habits, also known as thought distortions. I rather like the language of Jamie Smart, who calls this general pattern contaminated thinking. I've got a natty and very useful little A4 sheet with all 12 of the unhelpful thinking habits summarised, and I refer to it from time to time. Back in 2020, when I was deep into the first therapy sessions, I looked at it daily. The thought distortion I want to address here is this. Emotional thinking. It's basically the belief we anxious folk can develop that what we are feeling is reality. I feel bad, so it must be bad. I feel anxious, so I must be in danger. In my case, the thought is that I feel stuck, so I must be stuck. I feel scared, so it must be scary. I feel useless, so I must be useless. This fear is paralyzing. To those who are not particularly anxious about running and playing and role-playing games, this must sound very odd. That in itself is a thought that triggers some further unhelpful thinking around comparing myself to other imagined experts and confident GMs and then despairing at my own lack of ability and confidence, but Let's recognise that this isn't helpful either. The question is simple. How do I unstick myself? Firstly, the thing to do is look at the facts. I've run two sessions, one with each of two different groups of players. Both sessions were at least mildly successful. I know that I felt good, although I need to be cautious about believing that because I felt good, those sessions were in fact good, back to emotional thinking, The smarter move is to recognise that the idea of a good session is unhelpful. Making judgments, another thought distortion, is when we are making evaluations or judgments about events, ourselves, others or the world in general, rather than describing what we actually see and have evidence for. In addition to being a judgment, thoughts about good or bad sessions are another type of unhelpful habit, black and white thinking. 
believing that something or someone can only be good or bad, right or wrong, rather than anything in between or shades of grey. What are the facts? Saturday's game was short, but we made Jeff a character. We added an NPC for support, and we played for about an hour investigating a location that I improvised on the spot. I used a monster chosen by looking at the wandering monster tables at the back of the basic D&D DM's rulebook. Jeff has agreed to play another session. Our friend, Bob, has agreed to join in, and he's also asked to convert an old character to the game. I have a dungeon map, and I just need to stock it before the next session. That can be done using the random tables in the book if I can't think of anything better. Tuesday's game was short, but we rolled up four characters, we entered a dungeon map that I pulled from an old book, and played for about 40 minutes. The students were laughing, and when asked if they wanted to continue, said yes. They also asked if they could continue exploring the dungeon. All have said that they'll come next time. I've bumped into two of them since, who said they are looking forward to the next session. I have a dungeon map, I've stocked the most likely rooms they'll enter in the next session, and all I need to do is improvise around those details. What do I need to do next? I need to stock the maps and run the next session of each group's game. If I want to, I can begin to imagine some other potential places on the map I sketched and think up some rumours or clues to tempt the players to visit them, but I don't need anything much more than an idea and some clues until the players decide to head for those places and that might be a few sessions away, anyhow. Is the fear subsiding? A little, yes, but it doesn't go away immediately. I just wanted to share the manner in which I am working to weaken those doubts and build some confidence in what I am doing. Ironically, the more loosely I hold the game in my hands, the less responsibility for the fun of the players I actually bear. You see... It's the belief that by having all the bases covered you will be sure that the guys will have a good time that is the most illusory of gaming illusions. As the Alexandrian has said, quote, A consequence of this style of prep is that the DM is solely responsible for what the player's characters will be doing. This creates an enormous pressure on the DM because you'd better get it right. You'd better get the spotlight balance right and make sure that every single PC has an equal chance to shine because otherwise you're making it difficult or impossible for one of the players to participate and you'd better get the combat balance right because forcing the players into fights they can't win is a dick move. So the DM will naturally spend more effort carefully crafting each encounter to make sure it works. Ironically, The more specific their prep becomes for each situation, the more weight is placed on their shoulders to make sure they get it right. This can quickly decay into a vicious cycle, with the DM pouring more and more effort into every single encounter in order to meet ever-rising expectations. The result is often my precious encounters, in which every encounter is lovingly crafted, carefully balanced, painstakingly pre-constructed, and utterly indispensable because you spent so much time perfecting it. End quote. It's the non-linear design approach that early D&D teaches, which is actually very good at alleviating this pressure on the DM. On the one hand, more agency and open-ended play is offered to the players, placing responsibility for play that they actually enjoy back into their own hands, and the burden is lifted from the DM. Not sure what to do in the next session? Roll something on the Wandering Monsters table and see what that inspires. Or just pick a monster, give it a lair and roll up some treasure. 
stick this layer on the map, give the player some clues or rumours, or even a patron who wants them to go hunt either the monster or the treasure, and, well, basically there you go, it's enough for a session. And that's the hardest paradigm shift to make, that you only need to prep for the next session. In my games, that's about three hours max on a Saturday night, and about one and a half hours on a Tuesday. Game on. I love hearing from listeners just like you. Some folk drop me an email or tag me on social media. I'm on Blue Sky and Mastodon, plus MeWe if you want to look me up. Links are in the show notes. But the most enjoyable feedback comes from listeners who call in, whether by hitting the link on SpeakPipe or by recording a voice memo and emailing that in. But thanks to all the callers this time around. Just listen to what they had to say, shall we? Hi, Che. Simon here. Delighted to hear you back at the mic for season 13. Your rich voice in my headphones is just the tonic I need on a Sunday morning as I do my chores. And I will be listening with great interest to see where the season goes uh, and how your journey back to the games that you want to play goes. And I wish you all the best with that. So uh, thank you for coming back to the mic and thank you for everything you do. And I will be listening as always. Take care. Bye. Hey, Che. It's Matt here. I listened to the newest episode of season 13 and the newest episode of the GM's Journal a little while ago. And I just wanted to leave you a message saying that I'm very happy to hear you're back. I think your topics for this new season are perfect and kind of uh, uh, seems exactly fitted to the moment of kind of where you're at and also some things that I would love to hear. Um, You made some comments about being perfect and kind of perfection and the high standards be something that holds you back and many people back from maybe doing the prep or going forward with enthusiasm about games because it's not good enough and um, you know maybe we've done something better or could do better and I know that's not exactly how you phrase it but (laughs) um, that was something that really resonated with me and um, kind of glad to hear that get talked about and that sort of lowering that barrier and certainly something I think I've mentioned before to you that I've struggled with and um, it sounds like you struggle with too, and probably many, many people that um, listen to your show. So anyway, you don't need to play this. Um, just wanted to let you know, I know you're back. Very excited about it. And uh, I think the content is great. Hope you have a good day. Bye. Hello, Che. It's once again Jean-Francois calling from Quebec, Canada. I'm very happy that you have decided to embark on the 13th season of Roleplay Rescue. Your openness about the anxiety you sometimes feel gives your podcast a focus that, to my knowledge, only it covers. I can't wait to discover the content. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Hey, Jay, this is Jamie calling. Just wanted to let you know that I've really been enjoying going through the back catalog and uh, listening to your journey. Um... I'm also curious about your experiences with the cipher system. Um, Slightly surprised that you spoke highly of it um, because it seems like it's a less uh, tactical game. And um, 
I had the impression that you really enjoyed the um, tactical element within your games. Um, I'm curious about the Cypher Systems uh, fairly recent application to the Old Gods of Appalachia uh, uh, setting, which is based on a really good horror anthology podcast that you might have heard about. Um, if you could um, talk about your experiences of Cypher in more detail, I'd really enjoy hearing that, and I hope that other people would as well. Um, hope you're well, and uh, thanks for everything you do. Thank you, Jamie, for calling. And I want to say that I think we could talk a whole episode about the Cypher system and what I like and dislike about it. But I have to say it's in my top, what, three games, probably? And games that I would really like to play more of for a couple of really kind of interesting reasons. I mean, partly, and I think you know this, because I think when you sent that message in by email, you also mentioned you're perfectly aware that people have you know, different styles of play and therefore different tastes with games even the same person might have different tastes. And that's certainly sort of true of me. Uh, I think that Cypher System scratches a particular itch, and it's uh, an itch where I want a very low prep, very easy to run for me kind of game, combined with it's designed to do storytelling, um, which is really outside of my normal style. But what it does is this sort of high-octane, high-energy, cinematic action really quite well and in a very structured and quick and easy way to run. Tactical. I guess it is in some ways less tactical. I mean, it does, certainly doesn't sort of require like battle boards and miniatures, and I'd, I'd imagine that it would be sort of a bit weird in some ways to play that way. It's certainly designed to be a sort of theatre in the mind. But I don't know. That's tactical. I'm not sure. There's a, a whole mechanism in there about spending effort, basically. You sort of have uh, various attributes and you spend effort you know, on things and you can. it's sort of a whole resource management thing going on there that I found quite intriguing. I also seriously like the GM intrusion mechanics and uh, and the way in which kind of players are forced to accept kind of consequences to things that are going on to their character which you know it's just a lot of fun like i said i could talk about this probably in detail for a long long while don't know anything about old gods of appalachia um haven't really touched on that one i've got the core rule books and i've tended to buy the genre books rather than the kind of worlds in themselves that are powered by it so Numenera I have had a bit of a go at but I ended up sort of getting rid of those books and personally for me it's the toolkit nature of the cipher system that really really appeals so yeah there's more going on there than I suppose I can talk about in two and a half minutes just wanted to say a massive call anyway maybe what I'll do is I'll cycle back to cipher and talk about that down the line um it's a great question. I would suggest just grabbing the free stuff and maybe giving it a run. I've not played many, many games, actually. I've played probably less than half a dozen, certainly, sessions of Cypher. So, you know, I'm kind of new to it myself. I just did enjoy it. And I enjoy the card sets of kind of creatures and things like that. You can sort of deal yourself out. I love the ciphers themselves, one-shot kind of special items and things like that, or special effects. Um, as, yeah, there's a lot to it that's just really worth exploring. 
I know that there is a Cypher starter set coming in 2024. Uh, I know that because I backed it. And and I would suggest that maybe that's going to be a great place as well to start. So I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm wittering. I hope that's helpful. And yeah, I guess I'd better come back and do some more on Cypher in the future. Thanks again for calling, Jamie. And there's just one more message from John McNally. Hi, Jay. This is John McNally calling from the States in the Pacific Northwest. I've been listening to Roleplay Rescue since the start of the year, and not long after I began listening, I sent you email just telling you how much I was enjoying the show, and since my enjoyment has only increased since then, I figured it was time to call you. Che, if you, if you take away nothing else from this message, I want you to know how much I admire and appreciate what you do, sharing your thoughts and your ongoing process as well as your enduring enthusiasm for role-playing games, despite some struggles. You know, I'm a less anxious game master than I was this time last year. And I think I'm running better games. And I believe that you, Che, contributed to both those outcomes. So thank you. The new season of the show is off to a great start. You know, even in the first episode, your comments were very relatable and useful to me. As always, I too am tired of prep that feels like a chore. There are multiple factors involved. For me, one of them, frequency frequency to play is one. Uh, I have a large group that hates for anyone to miss out, bless them, which means we end up playing probably only about once a month. And while I do intend to talk to them about how how I'd like for us to, to get together more often, you know, barring that, uh, I, I want to try something else as well. It's, it's, it's just, in, the, in current state, it's too easy for me to procrastinate without amount of time between games, you know, to succumb to internal resistance. Um, also, I, you know, I don't have much contact with most of my players between sessions, so my enthusiasm can wane. I, I don't have their enthusiasm to buoy me. So what to do? Um, taking a cue from you and your experiments that you described in the episode, uh, I'm envisioning the the target state that I want. And, uh, here's what I'm considering. Uh, I want to limit my conventional game prep to no more than half the playtime. I I love the hour and half hour limits that you set. And I remember some comments from the angry GM, you know, also making some similar suggestions. So I'm going to do that. And, as far as what I'm going to prep, I'm going to stick to the essentials, you know, do those session notes, kind of the recap, so I can have a sense of like what happened and what immediately is like it is uh, the players have in mind for next time. And other must, must have items. I think for me, like must have items are, for instance, I know I need to, to do a diagram of, of the current space in which the players find themselves. I In the last session, despite my best efforts, I could tell they weren't able to visualize it. So... Here comes a drawing or a map. Um, but, you know, once I get that essential prep done, I, I need to be, I, I want to be content with that and to be able just to, to say, you know, I, I've done my job. I'm ready for the next session. And turn my attention to other, other things. I want to be able to pick up a book and, and read it for fun uh, without feeling guilty about the prep that goes undone, you know. Um, but I also want to be, uh, I also want to think about how do I, you know, rekindle my enthusiasm as the next session approaches. 
So there are things that I want to try. What are fun and inspiring exercises that I can do as, as the next date rolls around? You know, I love to draw. When I was in high school and college, I did a lot of drawing in advance of a given game session. And granted, I don't, I don't have all the time that I did then, but I, I, I think I could do more. And that sounds really fun. And I think that my players would enjoy it as well. So thanks again, Che, for being such an inspiration. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season. Take care. Yeah, John, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. Um, it's always humbling when people tell me that what I'm doing helps. But of course, that makes it worthwhile. So thank you for telling me that. And all I'd say is like, it's great hearing you working out what you're going to do. And that's all I'm trying to do here is just work out what I'm going to do and share that. And yeah, thank you for sharing it back because, again, it was a good nudge back. I could hear uh, really wise things in that in that call. So thank you. And when it comes to like, yeah, the prep is like the prep is done. I've done my job. I'm I'm free to do other things. Dude, you just should draw. I don't know even if you just sketch a map. I don't know what you your artistic skill is, um, but it will get better through doing it. I would suggest. I would suggest like tiny bits of time on that. I, you know, like I, I took the tiny prep thing and uh, do a couple of minutes, five minutes or whatever every day of like, you know, a little bit of, of dungeon prep really. You're kind of like coming up with ideas and I sort of drop them in um, as they as they become relevant or sometimes they inspire a whole kind of new dungeons and things like that, you know, adventures in themselves. But with drawing, I could imagine it would be kind of very cool to, to sit and sketch and, you know, add a little bit more to, to something. And you might remind me of of Simon, who does Legends of the Bones. He called in earlier. Um, he's an artist too, and, and I know he does art and sketches for both his stuff, but also for uh, when he's listening to John from Tell Manticles show. So, you know, I don't think you're alone in this kind of desire to share art and, and do that, you know. I'm so jealous of you for having that skill. Um, but I just wanted to thank you and, and say... I deeply, deeply appreciate the time it took to make that call. Um, it always, always matters. Game on, brother. All right, it's Tuesday night. I'm just finishing up in the classroom and just sent the D&D lot away, which is cool. One of the players couldn't make it, but they brought along another new player who did join us for a little bit of the session. Couldn't stay all the way through, but has created a cleric character. Um, and the other three guys seem to be having fun. That, that's really, really cool. We continued the dungeon, which was good. They found some treasure. They've uh, penetrated. They found the way through a secret door, actually, into a deeper part of the dungeon, which is really cool. And they've found an area filled with sarcophagi. Um, just, you know, it's really, really good to see. I've just had a really nice thing happen, though. One of the lads who had, before last week, had never played D&D has gone, oh, so when this dungeon's finished, can I have a go at being dungeon master? I mean, how cool is that? So, um... I've I've given them a couple of copies. I've printed off a couple of copies of the basic D&D player's book. I'm going to see if I can get a DM's book printed, maybe two, um, so I can put those out there as well because I feel like, you know, he's on the brink of, oh, I could run this too. So that would be really, really fun if he did. Anyway, I just wanted to record this really so I don't forget and also to tell you guys and just say, you know, huge thanks once again, I've got a game group going, but also there's another group playing 5e. And by the way, one of the lads, is the GM there, has managed to get hold of one of those Dungeons & Dragons part work magazines. So he's talking about that. Um, and actually, the one of the students said when we got here, he said, we should just call this the D&D Club because it's what we play here, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, that's what it was originally. 
Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share those thoughts. Thanks ever so much for all the support you give. And I hope that, uh, well, I hope this keeps going. Game on. So that's it. Big thanks to the callers today. Simon, Matt, Jean-Francois, Jamie and John. Please keep them coming via SpeakPipe or by emailing your recordings. Links are in the show notes. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show financially through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. You're covering the running costs and helping me fund stuff for the school club. This fortnight, I gave out nine sets of dice, printed up two copies of the basic D&D player's rulebook for reference, and ordered a hardback copy of the D&D Cyclopedia from DriveThruRPG. I super appreciate your support, so thanks to all of you. Thank you once again to John from Tale of the Manticore for the Roleplay Rescue theme music, but most of all, thank you to you for showing up and listening. My name is Che Webster, this is Roleplay Rescue. I'll see you again next time. Game on.